The topics dealt with on this episode may not be suitable for all listeners, in particular younger listeners. Also, the topics of sex, prostitution, and human trafficking can be triggering for some. Listeners are advised to use their discretion before listening to this episode. Our apologies for some of the audio on this episode. The Air Force takeoffs and landings and internet connections are beyond our control. The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't Welcome to the Anchored City Podcast, where we're connecting with Anchorage's soul through her history, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kickenfeld. If you were at the Glacier Brewhouse this past summer, around August 13, you could have ordered a beer called Fireweed Courage. The beer, brewed by brewmaster Drew Weber on the Brewhouse's pilot system, was a lightly hopped craft blonde ale utilizing Columbus and Centennial hops. The beer also featured hand-picked fireweed from the Kenai Peninsula. Fireweed Courage was a collaboration project between the brewery, Anchorage East Rotary, and Priceless to raise awareness of human trafficking in Alaska. James Dr. Fermento Roberts wrote in his beer column in the Anchorage Press, Human trafficking in Alaska is bigger than most people think. The magnitude caught me off guard too. In fact, Alaska is somewhat of a trafficker's paradise. That's because we have a lot of money up here. Abundant, disposable income fuels the most aggressive human trafficking systems. Seven out of ten women have been abused in Alaska, and traffickers know that abused women are pre-groomed for the type of behavior that makes them easiest to enslave in the human trafficking arena. He also said of the beer, This lovely, light, delicate beer, because only four barrels were made, will go quick. It did go quick. And I missed it. That seems appropriate for a beer dedicated to raising awareness of human trafficking. As we discovered in our last episode, the red light districts of Anchorage's past have faded away. The sex shops that littered downtown have disappeared. And it might be easy to miss the human trafficking that continues on. Two organizations that see human trafficking in our city and are working to help those trapped escape it are Covenant House Alaska and Priceless. On this episode, we're spending time with both.
I am Josh Lowers. Uh, I am the Senior Program Director at Covenant House Alaska, and I've been working here 10 years. Um, I've overseen a number of different programs, and I've lived in Anchorage for a little over 15 years. My name is Josie Hiano. I am a anchor navigator and mentor liaison at Covenant House. I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, previous to that, I worked in Fairbanks. Um, I grew up here in Anchorage. I've lived in Alaska my whole life. And um, my mom's family is from the Yukon River area, um, Tanana, Alaska. My dad's family is from Bristol Bay. Um, and I'm Dagatana Athabaskan. So lots of people might be familiar with Covenant House, and I think the automatic assumption is that it's a, a homeless shelter for youth, which it is. Um, but how? what is the connection to sort of, and I'll have to clarify terms here, do you all use human trafficking or sex trafficking, or do you use them interchangeably, or? Yes. Okay. Um, so I mean, we recognize that there are labor trafficking, and or there is labor trafficking, and there is sex trafficking, and that both of those things are different than each other, um, but they're often intertwined with each other, um, and so we, you know, human trafficking works. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, how did Covenant House get involved in sort of human trafficking? Because I'm sure that's not what folks automatically think mm -hmm. of when they hear Covenant House. Yeah. So uh, it's actually probably about 20, it's actually probably about 20 years ago now. Um, our director, uh, Allison Kerr was actually, I think she was, she was in Juno. At some, she's wandered into a training where Jolene Godin was from the FBI, Special Agent Godin was training, and she was sitting in the in the crowd. And Jolene said, "One of the places where trafficking happens, where young people are recruited into trafficking, is Covenant House." And Allison was like, "What?" <laughs> um, and and so I had a conversation with Jolene after, and that begun a journey for us of understanding, um, which included. I'm getting connected with an organization out of New York called GEMS, which is Girls Education and Mentoring Services. Um, Rachel Lloyd is the natural, she's a national expert, she's a survivor, um, and she has done so much work in this country um, to change the narrative and to, to change the laws and a bunch of stuff, but we were able to be trained by her. Um, some of us went to New York and some of us, she actually came up here and, and did a big training for folks. And, and so, you know, from there it's really just been continuing to learn about and understand um, how interconnected homelessness is and all the things that that bring young people to homelessness and the you know the recruiting and the the whole thing that happens when a young person is, is trafficked whether that be labor or sex so with you all being involved in that what does the work look like at Covenant House how do you intervene in kind of human trafficking and sex trafficking mm -hmm. well maybe we can do two like so so my role is much different than Josie's now and Josie can share about what she does um, mm -hmm. and so I kind of I got on this work at, with, at kind of at the ground level with Covenant House and so I started as a street outreach worker um, and spent a lot of time took almost two years of my life you know building relationships around the city but but with training starting to see how you know what was happening with young people on the street um, and at that time our our response to trafficking um, was very much it was housed with our outreach team but we also um, you know we served young people within our services and when we, we, when we identified them as a trafficking victim or survivor um, 
we were able to do some extra things for them, meaning we could help get them connected to law enforcement. We, we could engage with them, you know, in a, in a little bit different way than we engage with other folks and offer, a, you know, a little bit of extra stuff um, for them. As we have grown and evolved in that, we now have a program um, which is really still pretty new. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 2019 was when we, we really decided that we were going to create this specific response. And with the advent of COVID and all the other stuff that has sort of slowed us down in our development of this. Um, but for me at this point, you know, Covenant House has been recognized in the city and the state as a, um, as a leader in this issue. And so I've been able to travel the state um, starting conversations about how to how do different communities uh, respond or begin to start to have a response to human trafficking. So that has been, you know, from being in rooms with people around the state who are saying, this isn't even a thing, you liar, <laughs> um, to, to, you know, a, continuing to grow that response and understanding and being able to, have, to facilitate conversations about development, you know, or about communities beginning to think about this issue. Um, But so at this point, I also have been able to participate in a number of of places, um, educating lawmakers, educating, you know, folks in places around the state who, who could have influence on how, as a state, we respond to this issue. Um, And so, so that's, that's part of how we, you know, that training of, of people around the state um, and then now being able to really bring this issue forward in a way that we can try to, to create some systemic responses um, as a state is something that I get to do right now. Yeah, so um, in my role, it's kind of a lot like what Josh is doing, but on a very one-on-one basis with youth that are coming to Covenant House. Um, but I think it goes back to what Josh said, is that we're just having those conversations, um, which I think is a new thing in this field and a new thing in working with youth and youth experiencing homelessness is that we're, we're talking about trafficking and we're talking about recruitment. Um, we're talking about what to look for. We're talking about resources. Um, and that's very, very new. Um, so what we're doing right now is when a youth is coming into Covenant House, um, seeking services or coming in to do an arrival, they're getting um, asked a series of questions. And based on those questions, they might get a referral to our team. And that referral is not telling us that they're um, a survivor of trafficking, um, but it might tell us that they're particularly vulnerable to exploitation or trafficking. Um, So when we get that referral, we're just going and introducing ourselves, um, letting them know what our program is about, um, why we have a trafficking prevention program. Um, I'm usually pretty straightforward with the youth I work with and tell them about the studies that Josh cited, tell them about the work that we're doing. and then just let them know, like if this ever becomes an issue for you, if you have questions about this, if someone is making you uncomfortable, if there's a friend that's in a scenario that's uncomfortable or sounds familiar to what I'm talking about, we're a team of people that you can come and talk to and that's a safe place and that's a place where there's no judgment um, that we can really just help walk, walk beside you through that. Um, we also let youth know um, you know, we have the ability to connect well with law enforcement, with the FBI, um, if they choose that route, but we're always, you know, leaving choices as the first priority. So it's really just, to me, um, creating space, creating a safe space where that conversation can be had. 
Um, and one of the things that I think is really important in our role in this program um, is kind of breaking that, that stigma of not talking about this. Um, because I think that's what has created all of these years of trafficking existing in Alaska um, without the resources. Um, and I'm, I'm still getting used to saying this, but um, I'm doing this work as a survivor. But it's hard to say that because I spent the last 15 years never hearing anybody talk about it. Healthcare professionals, teachers, coaches, counselors. Like I, I grew up with pretty good supportive connections in my life and not a single one of them ever talked to me about this. So when it happened, blindsided. And then those people that were in my life still didn't seem like the safe people to talk to because no one ever said anything. So I think that's a really powerful part of our role is just giving it language, um, creating space where people are hearing about it and so they know where to turn to get help. So because it's been sort of something that wasn't talked about or maybe not talked about near enough, um, maybe you could give people an, an idea of what is trafficking look like in Anchorage or in Alaska, and I'm sure it takes lots of different forms, but like, what are some things that people should know about it or be able to look for, those type of things? Well, I mean, I think oh, people seem to have sort of two ideas when they think about trafficking. One is Liam Neeson um, and, you know, like vans and people, you know, <laughs> like people pulling up and... Oh, and, cargo vans. Yeah, like a cargo oh, van. Shoes. Yeah, no, not the I'm shoes. Really <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like somebody driving up and stealing people off the street. Um, yeah. Or they think about, like like drug trafficking or something like that where it's like you know or, or you know like we're going to stuff somebody in a trunk and drive over a, a, a border somewhere um but really what we're talking about when we're talking about sex trafficking or labor trafficking um is a third party benefiting from in the case of a sex sex trafficking a sex act of of a person or the labor of another person so um without that person being compensated um and or that person being, you know, manipulated or lied to or, you know, an array of things that someone would use to keep them in that position. So, so trafficking involves this, I'll specifically go to sex trafficking here that, you know, it's that third party, party benefiting from a sex act of another person. Um, and then there is a statute that talks about force, fraud or coercion um, and nationally, for if someone is under 18 years of age and the third party is benefiting from a sex act, then that person, that, that young person, is automatically viewed as a sex trafficking victim. If they're older than 18, then law enforcement would need to prove force, fraud, or coercion to be able to have that person be a victim. In our state, um, one of the few good things that we have going on when it comes to response from, from as a state level is that it's 20 or under for us instead of 18 and under. So law enforcement, so we can view young people 18, 19, 20 as someone who is a trafficking victim or survivor. Um, they can get that type of response without having to prove for, for force fraud or coercion by law enforcement. Um, so, so, you know, what does that look like on a daily? Um, and like that? Yeah, it's really, it's really, really diverse. Um, I don't think, I think trafficking in Alaska is very unique in many different ways. 
Um, but I also don't think it can be narrowed down to just a, one type. Um, I know that I work with clients who um, have been trafficked through gang affiliation. Um, they've been, you know, incorporated into this gang and then they're trafficking drugs. They're being sex trafficked. Um, and that has, that has been not just Anchorage gangs, but gangs that span from California, um, down in the lower 48 that come up here specifically for that. Um, so very large organized crime structures down to um, boyfriends and family members. Um, you know, we see people from rural communities um, getting lured into Anchorage by people um, promising better lives, you know, shopping trips, lavish things. Um, so it really, it can be just, just a one person um, or a family um, to really big operations. It's, it's really, really diverse. Um, but I think a common denominator here is um, at some point there was a risk factor or vulnerability and those look really similar here um, and homelessness being one of the biggest ones. So with you all changing sort of the way you're doing intake and, and, and looking for this, like how many youth or a year or so, and I know numbers isn't everything, but like like what's kind of the amount of folks that you're 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 um, building relationship with that have been part of trafficking well so i think right now young people that are on caseloads is like 38 mm -hmm. um and so those are young people that have been flagged you know as as potentially vulnerable um or ha more highly vulnerable than the rest of our population um however um you know we know that young people specifically young people who are homeless young people who have been in systems young people who you know systems being mental health substance use um, foster care you know young people who have been bounced around through those types of systems um, are very vulnerable so so the way that we kind of like all the young people that we serve would could could be vulnerable to this and then you know the ones that initially get flagged into this program are the ones who are like extra vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what we have specifically within this program. Um, you know, we did a study a few years ago, um, and with Covenant House International, and as a part of that, you know, we had, we had, it was 60 of our young people who were surveyed and, you know, two thirds, um, were identified out of that and, or one third, mm -hmm. one third. Um, but so the data piece of this is something that is evolving as we go. You know, at the beginning of the of this work, I, I often just had anecdotes, um, but we are definitely now getting to a place you know where we're being able to do that. And like for example, through I think we served over a three year period with ourselves and um, ANJC, Alaska Native Justice Center, um, and Priceless, and Star and Awake. You know, there's a couple of hundred folks that that we interfaced with and that was not just youth that was adults too but um so so in that sense you know what we see right now is not a huge population which means that we could definitely get some things done that said um there's a lot of folks that are not trained to see this stuff mm -hmm. um and so so that's where we don't really even know the whole thing is that you know, like if you talk to law enforcement right now, um, it very much depends on who shows up to a situation on whether they see that this is a potential trafficking situation or not based on how well that person has been trained. 
Um, and so someone might show up to a, to a domestic violence situation and see it as domestic violence, and it is domestic violence, but it also could be a trafficking situation. And, and so one of the things that we, we are you know, educating lawmakers on is that if we were able to bring you know, mandatory training for our law enforcement on how to identify and serve, and our judges and our, you know, like all the folks in those systems, we believe, based on what we found, that we would find a lot more people who are being victimized here. Um, and part of that has to do with, with the nature of this place um, and the factors that lead to um, a market for this to happen. And so, like, if you think about this in purely economic um, terms, you need, you need, you know, someone who wants to buy something. Um, and so we have in our state... A, a whole bunch of different transient male-dominated industries. Um, we have oil, we have fishing, we have tourism, we have military. Um, we have people that come up here, a lot of men that come up here, um, leave their contacts, or maybe they're just, that's what they do, you know, they've worked on oil fields or whatever, um, who are likely to buy sex. Um, so they want that. Um, then, what we have also is a is a population. Um, I think it's twofold. So we have a a, um, a large population with not so recent historical trauma, <laughs> with with our many different Alaska Native groups who were colonized within the last hundred years up here, um, and then we also are a people. You know, we top the nation in a bunch of bad stats. So no matter what your background is, like we've experienced a whole bunch of trauma up here, and and folks who have those types of wounds um, are folks who are more likely to be able to be recruited into something like this. So so we have someone who could be sold for sex. We have someone who wants to buy sex, and someone will step in um, to do to sell it. Um, and and not only are they going to do that, but you know, like Josie said, with some of the some of the groups that are coming up, like we have folks that come up to our state just to do to traffic up here, because they can make more money up here than they can make in other places around the country. Um, so, so all of those all of those factors lead to us, you know, really just scratching the surface on our understanding of how many folks are here who are struggling with this, um, and but you know, and ever growing as we continue to refine our ability to respond to this and our understanding, you know, we keep knowing more all the time. So if folks wanted to get sort of involved or support what Covenant House is doing, how would they contact you all or be able to support, um, or maybe even ways that in the community they could be supporting um, the work so that this, the awareness can continue to be raised and that more people can be helped so, I think I have three answers to that. <laughs> um, you know, one, if you want to support Covenant House in the work we do. I mean, so we, we do this specifically. Um, we're, I mean, we're growing a housing continuum is what we're doing, actually. So, we used to be a, a youth shelter, um, and that was our primary mode of functioning. Now, we have shelter. We have you know, multiple transitional living programs. We're adding some other types of housing, like micro units. Um, we have rapid rehousing beds, so like voucher-based housing. So so we are taking housing first seriously and recognizing that young people, when they're housed, are 
more likely to become stable than if they're not. And so all of the things wrapped around homelessness get better or start to get better or have a chance to get better if a young person is housed and stable. So, so you can support Covenant House by being a part of our mission, by giving, by volunteering, by you know, learning about what we do. Um, those are ways that you can support Covenant House and then therefore support young people you know, who are being trafficked. Um, when it comes to the, the direct work, you know, we don't have a lot of that work for, for those types of situations because um, you know, these are vulnerable young people. Um, and so we're very, um, we take a lot of care in, <laughs> in, in who we invite to be a part of this process. Um, so there's that. Um, other ways that you can be a part of this. One, there is a lot of information out there that you can gain or that you can get on the internet, that you can get in books, that you can get in films. There's a lot of things you can do to learn about the issue of human trafficking. Um, and so I would encourage that. I also, and, and the longer that I do this work, and I know I brought this up before, but when a, when a young person walks through our doors and they have been in foster care and then they've been in some sort of treatment type of situation, the chance that that person has been either approached by a trafficker or is being trafficked or being groomed to be trafficked is very, very high. Um, and, and so, as a city, if we were to seriously look at our mental health systems and the holes that, where, places where young people fall out, if we were looking at the types of treatment beds that are needed and you know the whole the whole continuum that goes along with that um, if we were if we took the time to look at our you know as as a regular citizen to look at our foster care system and learn about it and learn about how these things are working or not working um, you know all of these all of that education would allow us to to collectively make better decisions <laughs> um, when it comes to these types of systems. Because if the holes in these systems were fixed, we would have far less young people who are even vulnerable to being trafficked. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so it's learning about all of that. And I think, um, you know, sometimes it's very easy for people to run at this issue because, you know, there's sort of this, um, you know, response of like, oh, we need to go save the children. Um, and that impulse, though good, um, we really, this is a complex issue. And so, so it's important to, to learn and understand and work through that sort of stuff before running at the issue. <laughs> um, and, and I think, so yeah, that's what I think about all of that. What do you think, Josie? Um, I think when we look at risk factors um, and just working with youth every day, like, I mean, I, I don't know that we have the data exactly to show this so clearly, but just in the work I'm doing every day, it is blatantly obvious that a history of domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual abuse, poverty, I mean, there's so many risk factors that are common denominators with the youth that I work with, and they're the same risk factors that Josh talked about in Alaska, that we always have the highest statistics. And I think, like he said, if we're addressing those things, then we're getting to the root of some of this. Um, I also think that um, one reason that our numbers are going to be off is 
you know, I talk with a lot of survivors and a lot of survivor leaders who say that, you know, identifying as a survivor or figuring out you were trafficked happened way later. You know, when you were out of that situation and then when you learned what that was about and then all of a sudden, oh, okay, I was trafficked. But in that moment, that can feel like a bad boyfriend or a family member that's doing something. That can feel very much like something you don't have the words for. So I think creating that vocabulary and, and helping people self-identify is really important because a lot of the youth I'm working with right now, I mean, they know what it is because they're experiencing it, but me saying it might be the first time they've heard someone say it. Um, and I also think it's really important, like we, we should be training on you know how to avoid recruitment and what to look for. We should also be training our young people to, to not recruit and to not buy sex. Um, and, and to understand the, the morals around that because I think that's, that's something that stings for me and seeing all the work that's happening nationally. Like, what are we doing as a society to change that? Um, because it's unacceptable to be sex trafficked, but it seems to be acceptable in this country to buy sex. Um, and that, that's a major flaw. And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already And the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions I never knew But loving you just once was worth it Even if I We are taking a break for just a moment to let you know about an exciting project. All during this season of the Anchored City podcast, we are exploring places in the city where things are or are becoming the way they're supposed to be for all people. During the months of September, October, and November, we're partnering with Kaladi Brothers Coffee to hear from you about what would make Anchorage the way it's supposed to be for all people. We are asking the question, for Anchorage to be the way it's supposed to be for all people, I imagine. How would you answer that question? Here are a few things people have imagined. Housing for all, not just for those with money. Mental health care for all. Healthy civil discourse. Kindness. And an education system that is earth-aligned, intersectional, and interdependent. There have also been some less serious answers, like an indoor beach, more dancing and music, or oat milk lattes every day. To share what you imagine, stop by a local Claudi Brothers Cafe and look for the posters explaining the project and the chalkboards where you can record your input in eight different Claudi Brothers locations across Anchorage. Go to anchorageutc.org allpeople for participating locations. Can't make it to a cafe? No worries. You can share your thoughts by going to facebook.com anchorageutc. Responses will be gathered and presented to Anchorage decision makers for their consideration. Please join us in imagining an Anchorage that's the way it's supposed to be for all people. For more information, go to anchorageutc.org slash allpeople. My name is 
Caroline Adams, and I'm the executive director and founder of an organization called Priceless Alaska, which walks with victims of trafficking into a new life. So for listeners that might not know, what is um, sex trafficking and what does that look like in Anchorage and in Alaska? So sex trafficking is a prostitution involves three elements. Trafficking includes a fourth element. So prostitution, there's somebody who's selling their body. There's somebody who uh, is purchasing that um, good or service. And then there's the good or service itself. And trafficking, we add the fourth element, which somebody else who's profiting off of the transaction. So that's, in a nutshell, that's what sex trafficking is. And we've watched that explode on the scene over the last several years. It continues to change and evolve. We're now watching a huge uptick in child trafficking and a huge uptick in internet trafficking. So that's basically, uh, it's becoming a crime that's being harder and harder to catch because of the use of the internet. And, and how exactly does Priceless get involved in working with the victims of sex trafficking? What does that look like for your organization? Well, the vast majority of survivors that are referred into our program come from law enforcement or um, a couple of different um, social service organizations that we partner with, Birchwood Community, um, Covenant House, and McLaughlin. And, and once you come into contact with somebody that is being victimized in this way, what role do, does Priceless p- play in helping them transition out of that? So I was on the Governor's Task Force for Trafficking in 2016. Uh, 2016 under Governor then Sean Parnell and we just traveled around the state to even just kind of look up the hood and see what was happening in order of trafficking around the state and it was honestly a depressing nine months and I think the big takeaway from that whole time of research was how little networking there is in the state so there's housing available there's food available there's mentoring available there's uh, transitional homes available, but um, none of these talking heads are coordinating with each other. So it was really hard to do any kind of wraparound service for any anybody. And sex trafficking was grossly misunderstood and way underreported. So when I just decided that it was no longer an option for me to continue on in the line of work that I was doing after the discovery of what was really happening in our state. So uh, set up an organization that would be primarily a networking organization. So I didn't want to provide any goods or services that somebody else was providing, but I wanted to do a really good job of starting to coordinate around the state for those kind of services. So I feel like that's kind of the heartbeat of Priceless. But our slice of the pie where I would say we are subject area experts is in the mentoring. So we believe, I would sometimes even say we're we're people brokers. So we provide this team of two mentors to each victim and they kind of become the modality from getting from one service to another. Our, our mentors are not counselors, they're not professionals, they're friends and they're not the ones that are going to sit and counsel you through your story but they're going to want to be the ones that pick you up and take you to ice cream afterwards. So we've kind of um, stayed in that lane and honestly that's where we've hit real pager in terms of watching the recidivism rate drop pretty significantly. I would 
I would compare that method to what Priceless does to any other service provider in our country. And that seems to be what really works because people need people. And uh, sometimes just that one friend, that, that group of two mentors in your life is enough to begin to give you hope. So in light of that, I would, I would love to know who are, who are your mentors? Like who are people that sign up to mentor? And then um, numbers are not everything, but like how many folks are you currently engaged with or, or are being mentored um, by Priceless? So that the number of those being mentored fluctuates, obviously, drastically. Uh, COVID, we lost a lot of people back into the system. Uh, numbers are going up right now. We see the trends changing. We Quite often, someone will disappear for three or four months and then come back in. But we kind of do things a little bit differently in terms of our tracking of our mentees. And that is that we know they're going to cycle in and out. The, probably the average, it's a little bit like... Um, battered wife syndrome, where we see people leave and come back a number of times before they can finally make that final decision to put trafficking in the rearview mirror. And part of that's because trafficking isn't happening in our state via kidnapping. Uh, of course that happens, but that's not the primary uh, person that we deal with. What's way more likely to happen is that somebody is fell in love. Like the traffickers are good at courting and I'm making you believe you're the only one, you're special. And then now I've hit hard times, will you do me this one favor and we'll bring someone to our lives. And so they're kind of sucked into these fantasy relationships, which are really uh, for somebody who hasn't felt loved before, hasn't um, been wanted or valued before, it's, it's incredibly alluring. So um, Good people do horribly bad things and bad people do good things too. So it's really a very confusing lifestyle and it's a really hard place to be because a victim may be being very well cared for on one hand and beaten on the other hand. And so it's a very um, dark and hard place to get out of. So when we partner a mentor with that, with that particular um, mentee, um, we, we don't typically have our mentors go back and partner with another person later because we expect that this is going to be a years long process if not a friendship that's formed for a lifetime and so uh, so we have we have mentors uh, and mentees that have been in the program since we started for 10 years uh, typically our mentors are asked to make a one-year minimum commitment but that's uh, so we have we've seen over 107 uh, women come into the program. Some of those passed away. Some of those are missing right now. Some of those were waiting for them to hit a new rock bottom, and some of them are doing fantastic. So, uh, 107 women through the program that have been engaged with Priceless. That means that's roughly over 100 different mentors that have been involved with the partner. I mean, 200 mentors that have been involved with the partner in two years. So if folks are interested in learning more about what Priceless does, where can they contact you? And then how might they get involved in, in helping folks that are involved in leaving the sex trade? Yeah, I'll answer one, this other question first. So where do we get our mentors from? Uh, I just finished writing a book called Crazy Church Ladies. Um, we started with a, a women's ministry at ChangePoint, and that was our primary place of recruitment at first. Um, and the troopers ended up calling our, our gals the crazy church ladies. Um, 
because they were desperate for mentors. So that's that's the book there, Crazy Church Ladies, How One Group, uh, a priceless story of an unlikely group winning the war against trafficking. Um, so we've referred leveling to our mentors as the Crazy Church Ladies, but I've been asked by some of the you know non-religious, non-faith-based organizations, why do you always go after the church? And my answer is quite simply, where else are you going to find a group of people gathered on one day a week, facing forward, eager to love on their community? I mean, it's just, it makes sense from a practical standpoint. But then on a personal level, uh, it's great that we have lots of government agencies and money being thrown at the problem, but um, the church isn't just a good idea. It's really the only hope. Is at the end of the day, it's, it's being loved with the love of Jesus Christ that's going to bring people out of that darkness. Great. Thank you for that. And thanks for sharing about your book as well. I know people will be interested in that. How would people get involved and, okay, and you can get how, in what ways and that stuff? You can get involved with Priceless. We basically have everybody start the same way. If you want to volunteer to lick stamps in my office, it'll be the same entry. Um, and that's through our engaged training. You can find out about the next engaged training. We have one online coming up next week. Um, and that'll be a Zoom one, and then what, the one after that early September, but they happen roughly every month. And engage.training is the website. Um, you can also find a link to that website through our Priceless website, which is www.pricelessalaska.com. And th so that's how you, how you get involved. If you have some ideas or some thoughts or questions, you can also reach out um, to me through the Priceless contact form and get in touch with me that that way. Of course, we have all of our social media accounts and, and that as well. You can find us at Priceless Alaska on Facebook, Instagram, and then we're under the umbrella of Love Alaska. So we can We started this episode talking about fireweed courage, and courage is at the heart of what Covenant House and Priceless do. It takes courage for those caught in human trafficking to escape that life. It also takes courage for those helping to assist them. My thanks to Josh, Josie, and Gwen for sharing with us and helping us to understand how they are helping Anchorage to become the way it's supposed to be for all people. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiegenfeld. As we always do, we asked our guests what is a self-care, mindfulness, or spiritual practice that they do that keeps themselves centered in their work. Here's what they had to say. That one's easy for me to answer. I, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now if I didn't have this firmly in place, and that's a big part of our engaged training, but we practice Sabbath rest. So you're, it's very likely that you're going to hear in our staff meetings as we gather a whole team together once a week, um, us asking what Sabbath looks like and was Sabbath honored this week. And we take it to a level where, uh, uh, you know, jokingly you'll get in trouble coming in here and um, having not had a full 24 hours 
of complete unplugging and just reconnecting not only with God, but reconnecting with your covenant relationships. And, uh, and Sabbath rest and renewal is very different from escaping and folding on into a Netflix or, or book. It's, it's real intentional rest, real intentional um, time pulled away with the people that God's placed in our lives time with him as well. Um, I have a number of different practices that I've worked on over the years. I think one of the one of the things about this work and about self-care is that um, it, you never seem to get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but something right now, um, I guess two things. One, I have a killer faith community that I am really enjoying uh, being a part of. Um, but I also... Um, I personally have been in therapy for about seven years and I just learned a breathing exercise um, and I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but it's used usually with PTSD sur- survivors, like folks coming back from war. Um, and that has been very life-giving for me. Um, it's very grounding, very centering. It's allowing me to, um, to be able to sort out my emotions um, and identify them and then go forward. So cool yeah therapy is essential for me as well um i have a very non-judgmental awesome therapist who also likes to call me on my stuff as well so that's good it's good to have people in your life that can give you reality checks or bring you back down to earth i mean sometimes i get a little up in the clouds um i think probably one of my strongest self-care tools is um actually weightlifting Um, it's a really good way for me to get out of my head and get in tune with my body and see what's going on there, whether I'm tired, whether I need rest, whether I feel strong. Um, it's also a chance to connect my breathing, um, and really just check in with myself. Um, I think I enjoy the repetition of it too, and it feels like I'm accomplishing something. And sometimes when you're angry, it feels good to just throw things around. (laughs) The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for our partner this season, Kaladi Brothers Coffee. Kaladi's is a catalyst for community. Stop into one of their 17 cafes in Anchorage, across Alaska, and in Seattle, or check them out at kaladi.com. That's K-A-L-A-D-I dot com. We are also grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we are grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lutton.